Hey everybody, Greg Laurie here. You're listening to the Greg Laurie Podcast. And my objective is to deliver, hopefully, compelling practical insights and faith, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. To find out more about our ministry, just go to our website, harvest.org. So thanks for joining me for this podcast. Well, it's great to be with you. I wanted to correct an earlier statement. I wasn't pushing my granddaughter around in a tram, but a pram. So, see, <laughs> yeah. I, I asked someone over the side, I said, everyone started laughing and I didn't make a joke. They said, you said tram instead of pram. See, that's the problem where we have a common language, but we don't understand what the other person is saying half the time. I mean, uh, start with a car. Uh, look at the way that you guys look at a car and the way that we look at a car. We call that thing in front of us a windshield. You call it a windscreen. You, we call it a hood over the engine. You call it a bonnet. We wear bonnets in America, you see. It's different. And then you put petrol in your car. We put gasoline in ours. And then when you go down to... And you also drive on the wrong side of the street. You know that right okay. And you, you walk on the wrong side of the street, too. I, I've noticed I keep bumping into people. Excuse me, excuse me. Sorry, I'm from America. I have no idea what I'm doing. But uh, it's just the way things are. And then, of course, your, your, our drugstore is your chemist. And, and, uh, and then, the, you know, your fries, excuse me, your chips are our fries. And, and on the list goes, the funny thing goes, when you need a restroom. In America, we say, can I have a, you have a restroom. So I'll ask someone, do you have a restroom? A what? You know, a restroom. You mean a toilet? Yeah, but I guess in America we don't want to acknowledge that, you know. Or I'm just going to go to a room to rest. If there's a toilet in there, I might use it, but I'll never let you know about it. So we call it a restroom. You're just more straightforward here about it. But uh, So we have a few differences, but I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter where you live in the world. If you live in Wellington, or Christchurch, or Auckland, or Sydney, or Melbourne, or Kenya, or Los Angeles, or New York City, no matter where you live in the world, certain things are true of every person. Let me tell you something I know is true of everyone in this room right now, everyone that lives in this city, everyone that lives in this nation. Every person without Jesus Christ has a hole in their heart. There's an emptiness deep inside of it. And that's why from the moment you were born, you've been on a search. You've been looking for something to fill that hole deep inside of you. The Bible even says that God has made us with this emptiness inside. The Bible tells us that God has put eternity in the human heart. That is why men and women, boys and girls, search for the meaning of life. I can tell you my dog, I don't think he thinks about the meaning of life. I don't think he lays around in the back of the yard and asks questions like, what is the meaning of my life? Why am I here? You know, I've tried all the things this world has to offer, chasing cats. I mean, he doesn't think about stuff like that. He's an animal. But people do think about things like that. Keith Urban recently got out of rehab with alcohol issues. And he felt it saved his marriage. And he made this statement in an interview. He said, playing stadiums is never going to fill any hole inside of me. And that's true. No matter how much fame or success you've had, there's a hole in your heart. Number two, everyone is lonely deep down inside. 
The great physicist Albert Einstein once wrote in a letter to a friend, quote, it's strange to be known so universally, yet be so lonely. And you can even be in a crowded room and be lonely. You can be in a nightclub and be lonely. You can be at a party with so-called friends and be lonely. Not long ago, Brad Delp, the lead singer of the band Boston, who recorded the song More Than a Feeling, committed suicide. And he had a note clipped to his shirt with the words, I am a lonely soul. And did you know that New Zealand has one of the highest suicide rates among teenagers of any nation in the world? And maybe you even contemplated suicide yourself. There's a loneliness deep inside of you. You've all heard of American actor Owen Wilson who recently attempted suicide. I mean, here's a man who's at the top of his game. He's making the big bucks. He's in the popular films. He's, he's got the gorgeous girlfriends, etc. And yet he tries to take his own life. Maybe you thought, well, if I could just meet the right person, I'd never be lonely again. But you can even have a, a good relationship, even a marriage, and still be lonely deep inside. It's not just single people are, who are lonely. Married people can be lonely too. One psychologist said, quote, because of the intimacy you expect from a person, the more lonely you will feel when you don't get it. The reason you feel a loneliness inside is because you're lonely for God. Everyone is empty. Everyone is lonely. And everyone feels guilt. The head of a mental institution in London made this statement, and I quote, I could release half of my patients if I could find a way to rid them of their sense of guilt. And there's a reason we feel guilt, because, well, we're guilty. Because we've done wrong things that we're ashamed of. We've committed sins. We've said things we wish we had never said. We've done things we wish we had never done. And the fact of the matter is, if you're feeling guilt, it can be a good thing, because it means that your conscience is actually working. The Bible says, this demonstrates that God's law is working inside of them, but their own conscience accuses them or tells them that they're not doing right. And number four, everyone is afraid to die. We're afraid to die because deep down inside, it frightens us. Actor George Clooney made this pessimistic statement about life, and I quote, I don't believe in happy endings, but I do believe in happy travels because ultimately you die at a very young age. You live long enough to watch your friends die. It's a mean thing, life, end quote. Steve Jobs, the creator of the Apple computer and the iPhone. I have an iPhone. I know you don't have them in New Zealand. I have one. I'll show it to you afterwards. Anyway, (laughs) Steve Jobs made this statement in an interview with a magazine, quote, life is short and we're all going to die really soon. It's true, you know, end quote. You know, the statistics on death are pretty impressive. One out of every one persons will die We're all afraid to die. We're all empty. We're all lonely. We're all guilty. And we're all afraid to die. That's true of everyone. Well, now I want to tell you a story from the Bible, from the Gospel of John. This is a man that should have been completely satisfied. This man had money. He had fame. He had a great education. He was well-known. He had everything the world offers. He was deeply religious, but something was missing in his life that sent him on a search. His name was Nicodemus. He had tried pretty much everything this world had to offer, but it had not satisfied the deepest needs of his life. And he had been hearing about this new rabbi, this teacher, 
known as Jesus. This man who said things that had never been said before, who was performing miracles, and had even been reported that he had raised dead people back to life again and restored sight to the blind. The little children loved him. The crowds kept growing. Nicodemus, even though he was well known, even though he was thought of as a, as a great sage or, or a great teacher, yet he was looking for answers himself, so he came to Jesus by night. And there's three movements of the story that we'll look at in a moment. First, Nicodemus came to Jesus face to face. Then they engaged mind to mind. And finally, they spoke heart to heart. Let me read to you a passage from the scripture, John chapter 3. And one dark evening, a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your, your miraculous signs are proof enough God is with you. Jesus replied, Unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? replied Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That's a very important statement. Jesus says you must be born again. We love that idea. Starting over again. Having a new beginning. A lot of people think they can accomplish it through cosmetic surgery. A friend was telling me that they're having uh, Botox parties in Auckland now. You know, if I can just get rid of these wrinkles on my face, or if I can just nip this or tuck that. And, you know, I'm not against cosmetic surgery. I think you can overdo it, okay? Because I've seen some people, they kind of freak me out a little bit, all right? They don't look younger. They just look like a kind of exaggerated version of who they used to be or maybe someone else altogether. You ask, well, can you go too far with plastic surgery? Two-word answer, Michael Jackson. I think yes. yes. The answer is yes. You can't go too far. I read uh, one statement from a man, Anthony Elliott, professor of sociology at the University of Kent talking about this need for change. And he says, and I quote, this demand for instant identity transformation has never been so persuasive. People want change and they want it instantly. From fame to the instant thrills of Botox or liposuction. In a world of short-term contracts, endless downsizings, just-in-time deliveries and multiple careers, the capacity to reinvent yourself has become fundamental, end quote. We want to reinvent ourselves. We wish we were someone different than we are. But the problem is, it's the same old us. Years ago, my son Christopher, who I introduced to you a few moments ago, uh, came home when he was a young teenager with a pet rat. He just found a rat and decided to bring it home. Uh, and uh, he had no cage or anything. And he, I just got this rat. And it was a cute little rat. And as I recall, we named the rat Nicodemus, interestingly, in light of our story. And uh, so we, we found a cage for Nicodemus, and then one night Christopher decided that Nicodemus the rat should have his own little house to live in. You know, it just looks so barren in that cage. And, and so Christopher, who's very artistic, got some wood out and built a little house for Nicodemus the rat. Had a little roof on it, and a little doorway, and, and a little sign over the doorway, Nicodemus, you know. And it was so cool because we went to bed that night, and, and we were going to our bed, and Nicodemus the rat would go into his little house. And, and so we, we got up the next morning to see how Nicodemus was doing, and the house was gone because Nicodemus the rat had eaten the house, you see, because he is a rat, that's why. 
You see, and my point is simply this. You can change the way you look on the outside, but it's still the same old you on the inside. But God is telling you He can change you in your heart. God is telling you you can be born again. Not just a change of wardrobe. Not just a change of friends. Not just a change of location. But a change of heart. And God can do that for you tonight. Jesus says you must be born again. Now who was this Nicodemus guy? The Bible says he was a Pharisee. What does that mean? Well that meant that he was a very religious person. See, the Pharisees are usually thought of in a negative light because some of the most critical words our Lord had were for this group that called themselves the Pharisees. They were always setting little traps for Him, always trying to undermine what He was doing because they were jealous of His popularity. But there were some good Pharisees out there too. Never numbering more than 6,000. This was a select group of individuals that had dedicated their life to the keeping of the ten commandments. They were very devout, very religious. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. But not only that, but Jesus says to him, you are the most respected Jewish teacher. So not only was he a religious man, but he was thought of as a guy who was supposed to have all the answers. But yet he had a lot of questions. Maybe you too are religious. You too are moral. You too are educated. You've been successful. You've had some fame. You're a legend in your own mind. I mean your own time. But yet you've come here tonight searching, just like Nicodemus was searching. Searching for answers. Searching for meaning. Maybe you thought, well, if I could just make the big bucks and make a lot of money, I know I would be happy. Listen, if we have seen nothing else, from the lives of all of these Hollywood celebrities that seem to be regularly getting pulled over for DUIs and checking in and out of rehab, we learned that money is not going to fill a void in your life. Money can buy you a lot of things. Money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you a good night's sleep. It can buy you books, but it can't buy you brains. It can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. It can buy you amusement, but it can't buy you happiness. And to quote St. Paul, St. John, St. George, and St. Ringo, money can't buy you love. <laughs> you see? Because you think, if I just had this, I know I would be happy. All I would say to you is, careful what you wish for. You might get it. I heard a story about a couple that were celebrating the husband's 65th birthday and also their 35th wedding anniversary. Suddenly a genie appeared and offered each one a wish. This is a true story. <laughs> it's a joke, of course. So a genie appeared says, I'll give to each one of you a wish. What do you want? And the husband says, well, what happened to three wishes? The genie says, well, you know, times are hard. We've had to cut back. <laughs> so, so what do you want? So the wife says, you know what, I, genie, I, I wish for a second honeymoon. And I wish that this husband of mine and I were on a beautiful South Seas island surrounded by emerald seas. And poof, there they were in this gorgeous island surrounded by beauty with their beloved husband of 35 years. But the husband hadn't asked for his wish yet. Thought about it for a moment. Looked over at his older wife and then said to the genie, okay, I, I just decided what I want. Genie says, all right, what do you want? Says, I want a wife that's 30 years younger than me. And poof, he was 95 years old. So... Be careful what you wish for. You might get it. 
See, I think as long as we feel, if I just reach this pinnacle of fame, if I just made this much money, if I just had this boyfriend or that girlfriend, or I drove this cool car, or lived in this house, etc., etc., I know I would be happy. But then there are people that get everything you dream of and more, and their dream turns into a nightmare. And they realize that things they're looking for are not found in this life. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. That's probably because he didn't want anyone to see him. He probably was afraid of what others would say. And maybe you were a little embarrassed to tell your friends where you were going tonight. Hey, you, you want to go to a movie? No. Want to go to a party? No, I have plans. Where are you going? Well, we're going over to that harvest thing. Oh, isn't that thing religious? I, I don't know what it is exactly, but uh, I'm going. You're a little bit embarrassed because we're so concerned about the opinions of other people. It's no coincidence that the Bible compares us to sheep. You have a few sheep here in New Zealand, don't you? And sheep are, are known to sort of do what other sheep do, right? I read an interesting article uh, about 450 sheep who recently jumped to their deaths in Turkey. As it turns out, one sheep walked off of a cliff and 1,500 others follow. I mean, hello? Wouldn't you think after 50 sheep fell, the others would say, hey, let's not do this today? But they're so compliant. The first sheep goes off the cliff. The others are like, okay, let's form a single line. We're all going to die today. Let's go. Come on now. It's not that bad. Let's go, you know. Stupid sheep. Are we any more foolish when we chase after the latest fad? Or we do drugs because our friends do it. Or we drink because our friends do it. Or you have sex with that guy or with that girl because the pressure's on. Because you want to impress others. You want to fit in. You want to be cool. Nicodemus was afraid of what people thought. Friend, you need to be thinking about what God thinks. Because one day we're all going to stand before God. And we're not going to be there with our gang. We're not going to be there with our friends. We're going to be there all by ourselves. Nicodemus came by night, yes, but at least he came. And at least you came. You're here, and I'm glad you are. He must have been nervous. I wonder if he had it written on his, in his diary. Appointment with Jesus, 10 o'clock p.m. Oh, man. What am I going to say to him? You know, you know well, how do I, I break the ice? How do I start the conversation? And, and so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, very respectfully, teacher, no one could do what you do unless he be son of God. That's kind of an amazing thing that Nicodemus, a household name most likely, a religious leader would call Jesus teacher. Maybe in the same way you feel a, a respect for Jesus. I always respected Jesus even before I was a Christian. I'd seen all of his movies. Uh, seemed like a nice guy to me. But I never thought of Jesus as someone who was still alive, as someone who could be known. He was distant. To me, he was a figure perhaps in stained glass. But here was Nicodemus. He had a respect. And maybe you came here tonight out of respect for a Christian friend. You know, they're, they're a nice person. They, they've always been there for you. And so they invited you to come and you, and you came along and, and you're sitting here and you're kind of checking this thing out and, and you say, well, I, I admire Jesus Christ. But check this out. Jesus did not say, admire me. Jesus said, follow me. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, made this statement about 
Jesus, and I quote, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. Lewis says you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to, end quote. See, it's not enough to just say, I admire Jesus, or he was a great moral teacher. No, listen, Jesus claimed to be God in human form. Jesus claimed to be the only way to a relationship with a Father in heaven. And you know what else? Nicodemus was probably a pretty old dude at this point. You know why I say that? Because when Jesus says you must be born again, Nicodemus says, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Maybe some of you are, are getting a little bit older. How do you know when you're getting older? You know you're getting older when you actually look forward to a dull evening at home. That's one way. You know you're getting older when your mind makes commitments your body can't keep. You know you're getting older when you sink your teeth into a juicy steak and they stay there. You know you're getting older when you've owned clothes so long they've come back into style twice. And for some of you, three times. And what's that rule? If you wore it the first time, you're not supposed to wear it the second time. You know you're getting older when you sing along with the elevator music. You know, that's really a drag. You know, when you're in the elevator singing The Stairway to Heaven by Zeppelin, you know, and you think, oh, this is so bad. It's turned into elevator music. You know you're getting old when you stop holding your stomach and no matter who walks into the room. You know, there's those telltale signs. Nicodemus was getting older. Jesus cuts to the chase. He says, listen to me, Nicodemus. We don't have time to beat around the bush. Let me just get to the bottom line here for you. You need to be born all over again. Now you say, but Greg, what does that mean, born again? Sadly, the term born again has been pirated, emptied of its meaning, dragged to the gutter, and given back to us minus its power. When someone says they're born again today, we have no idea what they even mean. So Jesus is helping us to understand what it does mean. It means to be born from above. You need to be born from above, Nicodemus. Now this great religious leader, this moral man, this wealthy man, this searching man says, how can this be? So they've gone now from face to face to mind to mind, to heart to heart. How can it be? Lord, break it down for me. What's the process? I'm an old man. I'm set on my ways. I don't know how to change. How can you be born again? And Jesus gives to Nicodemus what we might call the gospel in a nutshell. Here it is. You've all heard this verse, John 3, 16. Jesus says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He continues on, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but that through Him the world might have life. I love that verse. It just lays it out so clearly. For God so loved the world. God loves you. Sometimes people have a hard time with that. They think God hates them. They think God is out to ruin their lives. That God is out to rain on their parade. Nothing can be further from the truth. God 
loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And we can talk about love all day long, but God showed his love toward us in a tangible way by sending his own son, Jesus, to come to this earth and be born in that little manger in Bethlehem and then to live the perfect life and then to go to a cross and die there in our place and to rise three days later from the dead. That was love. Because not only did God send His Son to the earth, but the Son willingly came. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And it's a gift. And you know, when you give a gift to someone, they, they need to receive it. And this is what drives me nuts about when I give a gift to my wife. I say, I got you a gift. She'll go, thank you. And if we're out at a meal, she'll say, I'll open it after dessert. I'm like, well, open it now, you know? See, guys don't like to wait about for gifts. They, they just open them immediately. Now, I'm sure you're much more cultured here in New Zealand. Let me tell you something about American men. It is a complete waste of time to wrap a gift for an American man. Because wrapping paper for an American guy is a mere obstacle keeping him from what he really wants. You put a card in it, he'll open the card and look at it only because he wants to see if there's money in it, all right? <laughs> and he'll read it. He doesn't care what the card says. And then he'll open it up to see what the gift is. And there it is. He wants to get what you've gotten him. Now you give a gift to an American woman and I'm sure a lady here as well, you know, that first of all, they'll read the card and actually be moved by what is written. That is so sweet. Thank you. I didn't write it. I know, but it's sweet. Okay, okay good. And then she'll undo the ribbon and say, I'm going to save this for later. Right? You do that here too. That's the difference. Okay, God's offering you a gift. You know what I suggest you do? Open the gift. You say, well, what is the gift? It's the gift of eternal life. The gift that you can live forever in the presence of God. Take the gift. Don't set it aside. Well, I'll get, I'll get to it later. You know, when I'm older, say 30 or 40 or 50 or Maybe when I'm 80. I don't know. Maybe I'll never open it. But thank you so much. No. God is offering you this incredible gift that He has purchased with His own blood through the death of His own Son. This is not something you casually brush aside. It's just something you say, Oh God, thank you so much. You would offer me the hope of life beyond the grave. Whoever believes in Him, Jesus says, should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, pretty much everyone says they believe in God. If you were to pull most Kiwis on the street, they'd say, oh, I believe in God or I believe in a supreme being or a, a higher power out there. But that's not what believe means. The word that Jesus used here for believe means to trust in, to cling to, and rely on. To put your complete faith in Christ, in Christ alone as Savior and Lord. story is told many years ago of a daredevil known as the Great Blunden. He was sort of the evil Knievel of his day. Evil Knievel some psycho-American daredevil. Anyway, uh, he was known for his, his, his uh, crazy stunts he would do. And one day the great Blondin strung a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. 
And he walked across it. Well, the crowds loved it. And, and there were crowds on both sides. And, and after he had walked from one side to the other on a tightrope over the Niagara Falls, the great Blondin turned to the crowd and said, how many of you believe that I, the great Blondin, can now push a wheelbarrow to the other side? And they said, we believe, we believe. And he pushed a wheelbarrow to the other side. And people were amazed. Then he got to the other side and said, how many of you believe that I, the great Blondin, could now take this wheelbarrow, push it back to the other side with a man inside of it? Well, they, they wanted to see that because they wanted to watch him die that day. They said, oh, we believe, we believe, we believe. And one guy was yelling a little bit louder than anyone else. And so the great Blondin pointed at, it, at him and said, then get in the wheelbarrow. And that man ran so fast they never found him. He, what does it mean to believe? It means get in the wheelbarrow. Put your faith in Christ. You don't have a backup plan. You're saying, Lord, I believe that you can save me and forgive me of all of my sin. And by doing this, I know that I will live forever. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, let me tell you something. Everyone is going to live forever. But you're going to live forever in one of two places. You're going to live forever in the presence of God in heaven. Or are you going to live forever separated from Him in a place called hell? I know some of you just choked on that. Thought, yeah, I, I liked you until you said hell. Okay. Sorry, but i got to tell you the whole truth. The gospel truth. And part of the good news of knowing that I can be forgiven is knowing that I don't have to be separated from God in hell. And the last place God wants any man or woman uniquely created in His image to go to is this place called hell. He didn't create it for people. He created it, Jesus said, for the devil and his angels, his demon powers that follow him. God wants you to go to heaven, but he's not going to force you to go against your will. He's not going to say, get up to heaven right now, young man. And, you know. <laughs> if you don't want to go to heaven, you don't have to. But if you want to, you can. How? By believing in Jesus Christ tonight and following him. Yes, you can have a new beginning. You can have a fresh start. Yes, you can be born again. You say, but how, Greg? How do you do it? It just seems impossible. No, it's not impossible. God can change you. Because I, when I was talking with Simon a few moments ago and he asked me about my background, trust me when I tell you I was the last person who ever planned on becoming a Christian. I was cynical. I was hard. I was skeptical. I was not looking for God that I really knew of. But when I heard how Jesus could change my life, I took a little step of faith and I said, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And I'm telling you what, He more than answered that prayer and He'll do the same thing for you tonight. If you'll just come, take a little step of faith. You come with your questions tonight. You come with your problems tonight. You can come with your addictions tonight. You can just come as you are and say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need this guilt taken away. I don't want to be afraid to die anymore. I want to go to heaven. I want to find the meaning and purpose of life. You say, well, what do I need to do? How can I know that I am right with God? How can I know I'll go to heaven when I die? Listen, here's what you need to recognize. Number one, realize you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one exception to this rule. Every one of us have sinned. The Bible describes sin as crossing a line. So if I were to step over this line right here, that's a sin. It's called a trespass. 
You've seen the sign, no trespassing. You step over that line, that's a sin. Have you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? You shall not have any other gods before him. You shall not take his name in vain. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. Have you ever done any of those things? Then you've sinned. Okay, well I've only done it once or twice. No, no, listen. The Bible says if you've offended in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. One sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. So you've crossed the line. But then sin also means to fall short of the standard. So I've not only broken His commandments, I've fallen short of His standards. And what are God's standards? Check this out. Absolute perfection. Well, who can live up to that? Answer, no one. That's where Jesus comes in. Because He lived the perfect life and that He died the perfect death and died in your place. So you must admit you're a sinner. Just stop making excuses for it. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Okay? Number two, recognize that Christ died on the cross for you. It's been said you can tell the depth of a well by how much rope you have to lower. And if you want to see how radical your situation was and is, look at how much rope, so to speak, God had to lower from heaven to reach you. He sent His own Son to die in your place. He died for your sin. The Apostle Paul said, He loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, Jesus came to pay a debt He did not owe because you owed a debt you could not pay. Christ died for your sins. Number three, you need to repent of your sin. The word repent means to change your direction. The Bible says God has commanded people everywhere to repent. So if you've been going away from God, it's time to hang a U-turn in the road of life and start, start going toward God. Yes, turn from your sin. Turn from those things that you know are wrong. And then fourthly, you must receive Christ into your life. Being a Christian is not merely believing a creed or even going to a church. It's having Jesus Christ, the Son of God, live inside of you. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And right now, friend, He's standing at the door of your life and He's knocking. But only you can open that door. Only you can say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Only you can say, Jesus, come in to my life. Will you do that tonight? And then fifthly, you must do it publicly. And that is why in a moment I'm going to ask you to make a public stand. And I'm going to ask you in a few moments after we pray, if you want Christ to come into your life and you want your sin forgiven, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come down to this floor and stand here. You say, now Greg, what are you going to ask me to do that for? Because Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you before my Father and the angels in heaven. But he added, if you deny me before people, I'll deny you before the Father and the angels. This is a way to acknowledge him before people to say, I'm serious about this. I mean it. So I'm going to ask you to make a public stand. And then lastly, you must do it now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tonight is your night. Don't put it off. Another moment. Nicodemus had an appointment with Jesus. And you have one too. And he's going to keep it. And I hope you keep it. And come to him tonight. Your life can be changed. You can walk out if you're a different person on the inside than when you came in. But you must come to Christ. And in a moment we're going to pray and I'm going to invite you to come and ask for His forgiveness and come with your questions and come with your problems and come with 
your addictions and come with any other issues you have and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm willing to turn from it. I want to believe in Jesus. I want a new beginning. I want a fresh start. I want to go to heaven when I die. If you want that tonight, God will give to you the gift of eternal life. So we're going to pray and I'm going to give you that opportunity to respond, okay? Let's all bow our heads for a prayer, if you would, everyone praying with me. Father, I pray now that you'll speak to every person in this room, every person listening to this message. Help them to see the words we've shared tonight are true. Help them to see your promises are true. And help them to come to you tonight and receive your forgiveness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everybody, Greg Laurie here. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And to learn more about Harvest Ministries, please subscribe and consider supporting this show. Just go to harvest.org. And by the way, if you want to find out how to come into a personal relationship with God, go to knowgod.org. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D dot org.